Welcome to the Shape of a Star podcast, where everybody has a story. We just have to shape it so that we're the star or something like that. So everyone, let's congratulate me because that's the first day I couldn't pull up the bio fast enough to read it properly. Hopefully it's correct. And we will continue onward from that. So we all know the shtick. Someone interesting comes on. We talk about their cool lives. This person has like a plethora of knowledge of stuff that became relevant to the main stage of the world after we were like, after we graduated from Mason, because everyone also knows, like I went to Mason, half the people that come on here are from Mason. <laughs> so here with their brand and knowledge of social justice and just really cool life experiences in general, we're bringing on La 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 Lexi. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. It's exciting. <laughs> so for those who don't know who you are and are listening, which is probably the twos and twos, I don't know who's out there. Um, <laughs> can you describe yourself or say it about you? Sure. So hello, everyone. My name is Lexi Haddad. I am a Mason graduate. I am currently in the social justice and human rights uh, graduate program. I'm a native uh, to the Washington DC area. I have my own makeup artistry business. I have been an artist in theater and music for Lord knows how long. And um, I kind of just, I, I'm passionate about everything that is art, everything that is social justice, everything that coincides with the two. And I wanna be one of those people that makes a difference in the world. Make your mark, make a difference, shape the world, you're a star. People, there's a theme here, and Lexi fits the bill perfectly. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah, and I think you have definitely made a mark where you've been. I'm not, you could have made spheres of influences beyond, but I know where you have been, you have definitely made marks and people have noticed. So it's a good thing, good things. Thank you, thank you very yeah. much. So first question that actually <laughs> was not on the pre-made questions, but I don't mean to spike anxiety or anything. It's actually just a simple question. How sure. You spell your name L-E-X-I. Yes. How did you choose I? So when I was little, so my birth name is Alexis. And when I was little, I would go by like in kindergarten, I would, I couldn't, figure out what my name was. Like, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be called. So I kept saying that my name was Alexi. That's so, cool though. Someone was like, you have to pick one. It's either Alexis or Lexi. And I noticed that a lot of other people spelled theirs with a Y. Um, Cause like, that's what everybody just assumed that mine was. And I was like, I think I want to go with I or IE. Even when I was in kindergarten, I was going against the grain because that's just how I roll. Um, so yeah, kindergarten, I was like, I, this is this is how I wanna go. <laughs> that could be any type of I, A-Y-E, that's yep. what I wanna go by, like, <laughs> ooh, good puns there. Yes. All right, so back to regularly scheduled programming. So, <laughs> Lexi, we officially met in Fairies and Changelings class. We found out later we actually met before, but we officially met there. It was a class that has gone down in history as one of the best classes that I have ever taken. 
and just one of the most famous classes of George Mason University, in large part to me talking about it all the time to people. Because it was a blast. <laughs> it was a time to be alive as a Mason student. Let me tell you all, it was a time. Um, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll no, I'll you're good. <laughs> like, just can you explain to people what that class is like? Because they're sick of me saying it. Oh my God. So first of all, let me, let me preface this with, this was how many years ago? Six years ago? 2014 fall. So it'll, yeah, seven years ago almost. So my memory is a little foggy because, you know, I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday sometimes. Um, but Essentially, the uh, Fairies and Changelings class was um, a special topics class in the uh, English department um, it, under the folklore concentration. And it was the first time it was being taught by the chair at the time, which was uh, Deborah Shudika. And um, my a great mom. Great leader, Deb. Amazing leader, Deb. Bless, bless Deb. And my mom actually knew Deb. From when she was a, from when my mom was a grad student at Mason, mm -hmm. she told me all about her and was like, "She's great. You're gonna love her." I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> basically, this class was us reading all kinds of lore and novels that explored what it might look like if fairies and changelings were actually a thing. And some of us believe that fairies and changelings are actually a thing. Because if you look back, I'm, I'm not gonna go onto my high horse here, but if you look back far enough into Celtic mythology and uh, you, you, you read a lot of folklore, you realize and you like pay attention to certain things that happen, like it's, changelings would explain a lot of crap that happens. Yes, um, that class was basically for affirming affirming my super my paranoia superstitions of life yeah right mm -hmm. yeah um i i firmly believe in the evil twin trope um i'm not saying that every every set of twins it has a good and a bad but i believe that there is that there's there's some truth to that um and so the fairies and changelings class we had some interesting characters in that class um, oh my god. <laughs> we had some really <laughs> characters in that class. We had someone who was doing their, pro I kid you not, their program was demonology. Do you remember this student? I do. I don't remember their name. I don't remember most of the names. I don't want to out them, but. I don't want to out people either. Um, because I, I do remember a couple names and I'm like, mm. Mm -hmm. um, so much side eye. So much side-eyeing. You were side-eyeing and I was eye-rolling, <laughs> like right in their face. So Hugh and I would constantly be messaging each other in class because we just couldn't say the shit that we wanted to say out loud because it was slightly petty, slightly off topic, but still relevant and correct. It was just commentary, live tweeting, basically. Was, oh my God, I wish someone had been live tweeting that class. You should have been live tweeting that class. I don't want to get sued by Mason or like make Deb look inadequate. Deb was amazing. She was amazing. Oh my God, amazing. If you're ever- We were not talking about her. No, <laughs> the only time we would talk about her was when she was on one of her particularly amazing rants. Like there was this one time where she cursed in class. I don't know if you remember this, but it was legendary. 
legendary. It was so funny because oh, I'll tell you the story later, everyone. And by later, I mean, finish your thoughts and then we'll get into that. Yes. It was, it was a time. Um, but yeah, uh, fairies and changelings essentially was a great way for me to wrap up my undergrad degree. Because oh yeah, because we both graduated. Yeah, that's right. You and I graduated right after. Um, and it was, it was one of those classes that made me realize, you know, I can turn whatever I want within reason, whatever I want into my education. Yep. And I know that this is going to sound like a, a bit of a leap, a little, a little bit of a stretch, but that was one of the classes where I realized, wow, I could take my love of art and my passion for social justice and mesh the two and really take that into a career at some point. And while I've gone more of the social justice route than the art route, um, I still have that option. And um, it, it just kind of blew my mind that I could be that creative with my education. Integrative so. studies, everyone. Like, go look it up at Mason. It is it's fascinating. Fabulous. Fabulous. Love the integrative studies program. And then, of course, I'm in the interdisciplinary studies, uh, the Masters of Interdisciplinary Studies program now. So, At Mason, Mason. right? Yes, at Mason. Woo! So, yeah. Mason is great if you are looking for specialized concentrations where it's a little out of left field and you're not quite sure what you want to do, but you know what you want to do. That's a great time, way to say it. Like you're not quite sure, but you know what it is. You're just waiting for that program. I was going to say, up. and it doesn't exist yet. It doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Mason is great for that because there are so many concentrations um, specifically within that, that, that MAIS program um, that are like, so. Someone that my sister went to Mason with got her degree in goddess studies. That and does not surprise me. No, it does not surprise me either. It does not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still very much like, oh, like we encourage this, but like, I hope you can find a job one day. Right. But when you, well, also when you think about like goddess studies, there's a lot of history that has to go in that. There's a lot of English that has to go into that. I'm sure that there was a heavy amount of folklore and mythology that went into that. I can't imagine how much history she had to research. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. No. That's a lot. That's a lot. But yeah, so now we'll get into the fun story when we cracked Deb in a way. So yes. it we were in the class and we were reading we were reading the story Except the Queen by Midori Snyder. Now this is actually one of the few books I actually read because I love Midori Snyder. But I know everyone hated the book except me, but I did. Yeah. Including me. I did not like this book. Um, I don't even remember why I didn't like it. I just didn't. It just didn't. It was so me. confusing. That's why I had. Oh, yeah. like, it had like four different storylines going on and it was just. And so here's what happened. It's basically like two fairy sisters, one with an M name, one with an S name are catch the fairy queen hooking up with a mortal guy. And so she's like, oh, no, no, no. We're not letting people know this happens. I'm banishing both sisters. And I'm going to reverse your names. The S one is now M. And the M one is now S. And we're going to send you to two separate places in the mortal world, which was America. And all this stuff happened. And you're basically like trying, the sisters are trying to find each other. The queen is like out to get everyone for some reason in this thing. And I don't know why, because she handled her problem fine. And there was a prophecy about it, like blood will rain or metal will rain down. And one of them was having a panic attack because she couldn't be in a car. And the other one was getting tattooed magic into her. So she's getting cursed by this tattoo artist. 
it's a but, thing. It's a thing. But what made us great was because everyone got confused on who was who and which plot line was which. So we had to make a T-chart. And we took like a half an hour with this T-chart, right? And <laughs> we were all confident. And then someone's like, wait, in the last chapter we read, didn't this happen? Which blew the whole chart and ruined everything. And Deb just turned around. She was like, fuck. <laughs> and she just cracked. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, everyone. And I was like, we were like, no, because we were all cursing too. It's the first time. It was it was a beautiful moment. It was <laughs> just beautiful. we were all done. And it was one of those people we were always side eyeing or eye rolling. I'm, I'm biting my tongue right now. Because they did this all the time, except they didn't usually wait this long. So many attention seekers in that class. So many attention seekers. And just I'm like, can we, are we not here to, you know, you and I are there to actually read about fairies and changelings and to discuss this. And there are other people in the class that are like, but I'm using this as an allegory for things, which yes. Great. Let's use, let's use, you know, what is assumed to be fiction to illustrate allegories and, and metaphors in our real world. Sure, it's great to be able to have that source to relate to. However, when the actual material is what's being covered on exams, like we, we had to, you know, know about all of these novels and know about all these concepts on our final exams, which that final exam that we had to take, we ended up writing in a friend's apartment <laughs> after we, after we like stayed up watching the Victoria's Secret fashion show. Yeah. I forgot we did that. <laughs> That's a whole time. Like, woof. Undergrad Ugh. is weird, y'all. Especially when you're in your last semester, you stop caring. You but stop you also care at the same you time. Care. I, well, that's the thing, too, because, yeah, we were in undergrad. We were doing very different things because I, it was me. I took the class because I was like, oh, this is my minor. Like, this is me finishing my creative writing minor. Like, I was pretty set. Like, I just did not care. It was I, actually a real class for you. <laughs> it was actually, like, a really interesting, cool class for me. It was, it was still an elective. Then I was just like, whatever. But... Yeah, I still cared a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was a great time. And this is how friendships are made, people, because that class has not been offered since, despite me telling Deb people would love that class. Like, I believe everyone should suffer and take it and learn through that class. Yeah, suffer. It's not, we didn't suffer because of Deb either and her teachings. We suffered because of the people that end up in those classes. Yeah, no, it, it, and that's kind of, you have to accept that that's how it might be with a lot of classes that you take in college and in grad school. You might really be fascinated by these classes, but have absolute trash people in your class. And just be prepared for that, y'all. And just remember why you're there. It's for the class. Yeah. So. So on that note. Another thing about that class before we wrap it up is so you, Lexi, you were the reason the world knows of. <laughs> because we, she went by Professor Shudika, but somehow we also got away with calling her a Deb. 
I don't even know how that happened. I think I let it slip one day and she never stopped and she kept like replying to that when I would say it. I don't know what happened and then it caught on. So I, I honestly don't know how that happened. You definitely did slip that day because I remember you were like, Deb. And I was like, Deb? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know her first name. I was like, who is Deb? Deb. Deb. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly, we're all, I, I started calling her Deb. <laughs> she didn't care. I think she had zero flag fucks to give. She, her daughter was also in marching band. And because I was coaching guard at the time, she was very excited about that too. Cause her yeah. daughter played flute. Her daughter was graduating. It was the end of marching band season. Yeah. So I was like, Hey Deb. And she was like, Hey Danny. And I was like, Hey, so I got away with calling her Deb. I think yeah, eventually just turned to everyone calling her Deb. But if you, I don't think you saw, but the second that you did that, those people that we eye roll inside i like glared at you <laughs> well you know what they're probably still glaring at people now because they're feeling insignificant about their own lives they're insecure about their own lives and feeling insignificant and you know what that is not my problem that is theirs so it is that was catty oops is it, I don't think it's catty. It's just like whatever. It's their lives. I mean, it's, like if someone's gonna glare at me for calling someone like it by their name, like I think it, it was also at the height of when pronouns started to become a, like a big emphasis for people too. So I uh, think it was kind of like, <laughs> how dare you call her by a name she like Deb didn't want to be called by, not knowing that yeah. Deb was cool. <laughs> people are weird oh my god i need to tell you this so deb ran a class that my sister took and that's how my sister met deb oh jeez. so it was personal narrative and storytelling okay that sounds like a good class and, and i was like oh my god i wish i could have taken that with deb but <laughs> so during the class that you had to do two you had to write a story about your life and then you had to present a story about your life oh cool so in my sister's class there were these two lesbians that were very very much like they, it was them against the world kind of feeling, which was in our class too. There were very much like a lot of gender fluid people that felt like it was them against the world. And it's like, but no, we're all happy here. Let's be happy. It was well, not just, it's not the let's all be happy, but like, I, I feel like, especially in particular one person, I know one person that you're talking about, like I was being very supportive of that person. I was like, live your life, do your thing. I support everything that you're doing. And that's what I mean. Like in that room, we were all happy trying we to were, learn fairies. We were, right. We were all like trying to support each other and be there for each other. Cause that's like, you know, we, we were learning about things that as a whole people don't care about and people judge others for being interested in. And so like it, it was, you would think that there would be that camaraderie of like, especially because like long. fairies and changelings, like that's definitely an allegory used. Like, for fairness, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, like we we should have been very with it, but no, they weren't. So these two lesbians, they were a couple. They were in Deb's class with my sister, yeah. and they were going on and on and on, and they were talking about like how. I forgot what happened, but they were talking about gayness and anger. And they were just angry about like gay men for some reason. And then Deb is sitting there like thinking and she's like, huh, gay anger, ganger. Anger. 
Like that was how Deb was processing the story. Like ganger, ganger, it's ganger, ganger. <laughs> and I just lost it because my sister called me after class. She's like, you'll never believe what Deb did. I was like, what did Deb do? And I was like, I believe that entirely. I believe this completely. Because that, that sounds very on brand. But this topic, this today is not about Deb. Today is about you, Lexi. So <laughs> I say this with all the sarcasm I can possibly muster, which is a lot. Um, when is it not about me? Huh. Well, <laughs> when it was about Deb and Deb took over the last, like how many minutes, like 19 minutes of this anyways. So like Deb being a commodity in our world, your racial background is such a fascinating, complex mix of identities. So I want to start <laughs> off with a giant leap. Jesus. <laughs> I told you we don't we don't have smooth transitions here. That's fine. Um, so, what do you currently identify as in this present day? So, <laughs> I will start off with my parents and all that. So, my mom was born and raised in D.C. Um, she's a native Washingtonian and is Ashkenazi Jew. Um, she was not brought up in a Jewish household, but that is how she identifies culturally. <laughs> Um, my father was born and raised in Damascus, Syria, and immigrated to the United States with his family at the age of 17, so it was um, in the late 70s, and um, yeah, so he, I am, I took, I took one of the, the 23andMe tests, and I felt very affirmed in being able to say, that I am ha almost entirely split down the middle, 50-50, Ashkenazi Jew and um, Arab. Woo! Yeah, so I am, it was like 49 and like 47%, one, like 49, one, 47, the other, it, it, yeah, it was, it was very close. Um, and then like the random, you know, other. unidentifiable. Yeah. Yeah, that crap. Um, so I identify as a Arab American um, because I don't have very strong ties to the Jewish culture. Um, I know I know a fair bit about it, but that's not how I was raised per se. Um, my mom and I celebrated a lot of the holidays when I was a child, um, like with my grandparents. But I much more um, I connect much more strongly to to the Arab culture. So that's, that's me. Um, the interesting, and I don't know, I, I honestly can't remember the questions. So I, I will say <laughs> this, um, for those of you who, I don't know if there's gonna be like a picture or anything attached to this, but um, I am very fierce, I'm like very pale. Um, very, very white in terms of my skin tone. And so I have often been criticized, we're gonna say criticized, for being a very pale-skinned Arab, um, because the media portrays Arabs as, you know, being very tan and olive-skin-toned and bronzed, and um, you know, my entire my dad's entire family is is of that coloring. My dad is very tan, but um, I've experienced this is going into a whole different topic that I think is actually part of the um, part of the questions. So basically I've experienced a lot of colorism, but we'll get there. We'll get there. There's, there's a journey. There's we a can journey. talk about it now. It doesn't matter. Okay. It's naturally okay. here now. Let's do it. 
Okay. Was there, a, I can't remember, was there a specific question that you like? I don't read that far ahead. Do you know how long ago I wrote these questions? Guys, we had to reschedule this a few times. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's not, it wasn't just you. Uh, it was, it was convenience of all, but. Yes, sure. Um, so colorism. Colorism is, an, is, a, is a very tricky sector of racism because um, it, it can be very sneaky. It can, it can really, how do I say this? Well, I'll talk about my experiences. I, um, even as a, as a child, I experienced colorism um, when I would audition for shows. Um, this is not something new to me. This is something that I've experienced for 20 or so years. Um, I was always told that I looked too ethnic, even though I had pale skin, even then as a child. Um, but it's, what's interesting is I've gotten even lighter skinned as I've gotten older. Like I I've noticed that. Yes, you have. Yeah. I look back at childhood photos and I'm like, oh, okay. I had a little more color to my face then, geez. Um, but uh, yeah, I was always told that I looked too ethnic to be cast in certain roles. Um, but at the same time, you know, my family has always kind of poked fun at me for being very light skinned. Um, and that always made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, it's led to this sense of not really feeling like I belong anywhere because I'm in one sense, I'm too white for the Arab world and, and for, for people of color. And, um, but on the other side, you know, I'm, I'm not white enough for the white world um, because I'm white enough for people to notice that for for people of color to notice that I don't quite fit with them, but I'm also not white enough to where um, I'm still profiled at airports. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I still experience that kind of prejudice when they see, you know, when someone sees my last name, which is a very uh, common Middle Eastern last name, Haddad is like Smith or Jones in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, there's, people will say that colorism is not as, um, not as bad, you know, quote unquote bad. Prevalent. It's right. They'll say, oh, it's not prevalent. It's not really a thing. I'm like, it is though, because um, I'm going to use a, a good friend of mine um, as an example. She is a lighter skinned black woman. And her entire family has berated her throughout her entire life because she has lighter skin than everyone else in her family. And that was just, that's just how that happened. Like there was no real genetic reasoning. That was just, it just happened. And there's a lot of talk within, uh, particularly within black communities, but in general with, um, with bi within BIPOC um, communities about skin tone, because if you're not brown enough, you're not brown enough culturally either for a lot of people. Yeah. People take it to a very superficial level instead of looking into the context of life. 
Exactly. And also that then becomes, you know, stereo that how much of that is being fed into the media. And then in, in turn, how much of that, how much are we being fed by the media because of what other people are pouring into it? And how much are we internalizing from the media? Exactly. Speaking of which, because I have a whole topic about this too, I wanted to bring up too while we were on colorism, but I can circle back. So you keep going. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. So I I wanted to bring this up because I know you'll have opinions as well. So today is June 14th, 2021, because we all know this will air sometimes in 2022. Like this will be a while, people. So in the current era of today, today is a Monday. Last Friday is when In the Heights came out. So I was watching an interview on Tumblr because Tumblr is active and Tumblr is still fun. I just, I missed the heyday, but it's still active and I learn and I see so much there. But the root, like the publishing company, not publishing like book wise, but like the journalism group, the root mm-hmm. had an interview with John M. Chu, the director of In the Heights. Yep. And they were asking John M. Chu, uh, the interviewer, I forgot her name, I'm so sorry, but she is Afro-Latina, and she was asking John M. Chu, how did casting go into effect? Because everyone is light-skinned or white-passing. That was a Latino Interesting. person. So they were talking about, like, because, like, if you're in uh, Washington Heights in New York, everyone's, like, every shade on Earth. Right. Which in the right. movie, I didn't even think about it. Because I thought one of the actors looked Indian, personally, but, like, from India. Right. So I was just like, oh, my God, she's so right. And John M. Chu was like, that's a great conversation to have. Blah, blah, blah. And acting as if it wasn't him. But technically, I don't know how casting works if it is just the casting director, if he had any say in it. Because I know some movies, like, shoehorn everything. Right. So, But I can say, also, the same thing happened in Crazy Rich Asians. Interesting. So I have not seen Crazy Rich Asians. It is on my list. Um, I also have not seen In the Heights yet. It is absolutely on my list, you know, being a, having been a performer for most of my life and, mm-hmm. and loving Lin-Manuel Miranda's work. Um, it's, it's definitely on my list and I want to see it. However, um, okay. So I will. Hmm. I know it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> so, so first let, we'll touch on the casting part. Like in terms of the logistics, mm-hmm. now I don't know exactly how. I'm much more familiar with how theater is cast than I am with screen, um, with you know, with film and television. But essentially, the director does have a significant amount of say. It's not just the casting director. It's it's the director of the film has a significant amount of say. That being said, we all know that this is Lin Manuel Miranda's pride and joy. This was his first show that that really made it. And I'm pretty sure he might be more into it than Hamilton. He's oh, he's absolutely a, he loves Hamilton. You can tell, but like in the Heights is like his his pride and joy. Yeah, his baby. You can tell. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a very from what i understand and from what i've read about the casting process for the movie he had a very significant hand in choosing the leads for the movie and so everybody there is there is a um a large community of hamilton fans that uh ship if you will anthony ramos uh who who plays usnavi the the lead 
um, who also played, uh, he was the original John Lawrence in um, Hamilton. Yep. And so there is a very big bromance ship between Anthony Ramos and Lin-Manuel Miranda. So it surprised absolutely no one that Anthony Ramos was who, uh, you know, who was selected to play Usnavi. Um, so in that regard, and yes, he's, he's, a he's, I wouldn't say he's light, light skin. I mean, it, I mean, that's the thing is it's all on a scale. Yeah. Like, it's hard because I think of light skin as, as like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm super light skinned. That's, this is about as, you know, mm -hmm. as I'm very, very light skinned. So that, in that regard, I, that's, he was going to be cast no matter what. Um, I have not looked into the, the rest of the cast, to be honest. Um, I know that Benny is a, a character that has to be black. That's absolutely yes. like, yeah, that has to be a thing. Um, narrative reasons. Yeah. Narrative reasons. Um, and so I'm, I, I don't know how much to unpack here without having seen the film myself and, and without having seen the entire cast list. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that I would absolutely come back and talk about once I, once I have seen it. Um, but I, I do think, hmm, I, I do think that there is a, there is still a problem of, of casting based on proximity to whiteness. Um, it's the standard still, of beauty. Exactly. It's still very prevalent um, and it's getting better, but we also still have a long ways to go. Um, as, as someone who is still active um, in the DC theater community, who has a lot of friends and contacts in the professional world here, I see particularly uh, actors who are people of color Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of anger at white theater and I completely agree. It's, you know, white people have been cast time and time again over people of color, over, um, over things like, I'm trying to think of good examples too. So the issue that I have is that a lot of theaters will preach inclusivity and diversity. Yep. And then they cast and continue to cast the same 10 white people in their, in their casts. And this, I mean, part of this is just, I'm tired of theaters casting the same people over and over and over again. And yeah. part, of that, part of that has absolutely nothing to do with race. That's just cast different people. We're tired of seeing the same people. Um, especially when, frankly, the same people aren't even that good. Um, they, just, they, just, they just suck up to people. I was going to name people I thought of that were sick of seeing, but then you said that, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to assist. <laughs> I, I'm not naming names. I'm not naming companies. I'm not naming anything. Um, but there needs to be a significant change, not just in the DC theater scene, but like in the theater scene, in the theater world, 
we need to stop casting based on proximity to whiteness, especially when we are a field that preaches diversity and inclusion and equity and justice for all. Um, but we forget that a lot of times we're, that's really code for it. Well, we're just, you know, protecting gay white men. Yeah. That's, that's really what a lot of times that boils down to is we're protecting gay white men because we know that they have a very significant place in the theater community. And there's no gay white men. Cis gay white men, correct. And that is, and while that is true, yes, they they need to be, you know, all LGBTQIA people need to be protected, of course, but there is that, that cis white male presence that um, has so much power in our society. Like, and that can't be ignored anymore. Just because someone is queer does not take away the fact that they have they privilege. Are, they have privilege, and um, that's that's something that really needs to be addressed in the theater community as well. I just think the world at large, honestly. Well, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, that that kind of goes without saying. I just feel that, in particular, within the entertainment industries, within theater industries, within the arts. People forget that a gay white man is still a white man. Yes. And yeah, just like um, everyone, if you think back to the episode with Ellis Gage, Ellis Gage is an actor. He's worked in the theater community in New York for years. He's done like Broadway stints and all that. He said, because he's half Korean. So he was like, we as Asian people should not live in fear when the King and I and Miss Saigon's not on tour. Exactly. There should be, there are so many roles to go around. So many roles. And it really bothers me when you know, I actually, there was a theater company the other day, a friend of mine sent me a casting notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not spilling any tea yet, but we, but, okay. we want you to be able to work after this. I mean, I don't, I don't really participate in, you know, I don't really audition very much anymore. Um, I, I mainly look at things from a uh, from a uh, management social justice perspective. I was going to say curious perspective, but sure. I mean, yeah, I, I look at things from a very analytical perspective now. Yeah, we'll we'll say that. Um, but this particular theater had announced that they wanted, you know, they're they're looking for shows that are diverse and inclusive looking for shows that are diverse and inclusive, which literally is any show, any show that does not center around whiteness as a theme, which, um, like hairspray, it wouldn't make sense in hairspray. Right. Like hairspray is for, for those that don't know about hairspray, hairspray is based on a, uh, a, a, which, Oh, this is a whole other thing that I could go on a tangent about. Um, is based on the story of a um, a young white girl who's overweight who has big dreams of being a star and being on this TV show, this dance TV show, because she's an amazing dancer. And um, there are a lot of racial themes in the show because the... Um, it's, uh, 
I'm tired. My brain hurts. <laughs> my brain hurts. It's okay. We're hard to, we are going into a lot right now. I know. We're going into a lot. Okay. Back to hairspray. Okay. So for those of you that don't know about hairspray, uh, it is about this young girl named Tracy Turnblad, who is an overweight white teenager who loves dancing and is trying to get onto this TV show that is all about, you know, dancing after school. And, um, if the show has a lot of racial ties because about half of the cast is supposed to be black. Um, and it's, it's a plot point. It's a, it's a very significant plot point. Um, and there have been countless examples that surfaced during the pandemic of theaters doing all white productions of Hairspray. Oh, I remember that article. There were so many that had done this. And I was like, you are completely negating a giant, giant series of plot points. Very significant plot points. Um, and I mean, we're talking about segregation as a major plot point. It starts, it's a 19, it's set in 1962. Yeah, it's set in the 60s. So that's, you know, a huge, huge topic. And um. So that was one of those things that really lit a fire under people um, to start speaking up about this when they realized like something that blatant, that's, that's no, that's not gonna fly. Uh, it was so bad. We, we all took a collective cringing, just scream for a bit. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a moment, it was a time. Um, and then, so I know that this is like not, this is not the racial aspects and this is, this is an entirely different concept, but it is kind of connected. It's all connected. Because it centers back on what is beautiful in yeah. today's world. So Tracy Turnblad, the role itself is considered a pinnacle role for actresses like myself who are plus size. In theater, I was often told that if I wasn't if I wasn't ethnic and if I wasn't too ethnic, I was just too tall or I was too big. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I was told um, countless times. And um, in theater, if you are not pretty, if you are not a thin, you know, kind of waspy white woman. Preferably blonde. Preferably blonde or maybe a light brunette. Straight hair. I mean, that's a lot of people straighten their hair for auditions anyway. So whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you are not a, if, if you don't fit that criteria, a lot of times you're going to miss out on a lot of roles because there is a strong sense of favoritism towards women of those characteristics and same thing for men um men who aren't who don't have like a beach body aren't considered for romantic leads and that it was really upsetting because i've seen and this goes for all genders i've seen so many talented really talented artists get passed over for people because they didn't look as conventionally attractive um which is so open to 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Interpretation. Thank you. It's so open to interpretation about what is beautiful, what is attractive. But again, we come back to this topic of, you know, whiteness and thinness as being the only the the right the the pinnacle of attractiveness and um that's what theater has relied on a lot um, and it's very prevalent too because it's something that i feel like a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of almost every single asian working actor is either filipino or mixed interesting see if you, you really like dig in everyone's filipino or mixed like BuzzFeed came out with like a whole like 50, 50 of the hottest Asian actors. There was not one of the 50 was not mixed. Interesting. They were all Asian, white and Asian, for those who don't know the term. Asian. Okay. That's, I learned something new every day. Including the ones that weren't even born stateside. Wow. That's really interesting. And like, not like shout out to the Filipino people. You guys are great. But also, like, Filipino features have a lot of mixing with Spain. Mm -hmm. So they have, like, white features coming through. Yeah, they have, the, they have a lot of the Eurocentric. Um... But, like, yeah, even wow. the prince in, like, Cinderella with Brandy that we all call, like, Black Cinderella, known oh, for its yeah. diversity. Uh, He's uh, Filipino. Palomar, yeah. yeah. Like, great job, though. We do love the movie still. We, we, we stand... Brandy Cinderella. That to me is the Cinderella. That is, is Cinderella. Um, that is the Cinderella. Camilla Cabello Cinderella didn't come out yet, people, when we're filming. I'll say that. Yes. That's yeah. <laughs> we have not seen that yet. Um, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for fairy godmother realness, though. I'm oh, yeah. I'm so ready. Um, but back to your first original point with any show could be a diverse show because that brings me back to the point of Into the Woods is my favorite play. Nowhere does it say that a character has to be a certain race in Into the Woods. Exactly. But it's almost always cast as an all-white show. Uh-huh. Although I will say, uh, I think it was Israel or somewhere in the Middle East, they did cast the first male witch. Oh, interesting. I was like, oh, that's a dynamic. That's a really cool idea. I love and that. And there's a second production that just, or just, I was following it because again, Into the Woods is one of my favorite shows, that and Be More Chill. Such a good show. Yeah. It, like another, like it's now starting to become a thing because people are like, oh, that's such an interesting concept. Yeah. It's, that's, huh. I didn't even think about having a male witch. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. But again, no one in the show has to be a certain skin color. Yeah. No one. Not every role needs to be a certain gender. Are are certain? Are we used to seeing certain roles, you know, being portrayed by certain genders? Yes, but mm -hmm. that always to me, if it doesn't break a plot point, it can be broken. Like exactly, it, that, that can be if it's, you know, Rapunzel has to have her long, beautiful hair, and traditionally, we wouldn't see a man with that significant. I mean, we wouldn't see anybody with that long of hair that you can <laughs> True. empower. But to me, like Rapunzel would probably always be played by a woman or, or someone very femme. Um, but, you know, I, I think it would be interesting if we did a lot of gender bending and, and 
I one of the things that I don't like that that theaters will do is they will do gender bending for the sake of trying to be progressive. The and company, yeah. The company, um, everyone that's coming out, and again, I'm so surprised companies coming back. I did not think it would come back once the pandemic yeah. happened. My company is is I I I've never loved the show. I don't hate it, it's but it's the exact feeling I have. It's not it's not one of my favorites. I don't mind it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's fine. Um, I feel like it's just being revived with a gender bent cast for the shock factor and for for the purposes of of drawing in more crowds that are younger you know and of this generation and trying to be more inclusive and diverse trying but patty lapone is still patty lapone patty lapone is still patty lapone and that's all i'm gonna say on that yeah i, I will i will say i Patty is a legend. Not all legends. Um, it, it, how do I say this? Not all legends make the best choices at all times. Correct. We'll go with that because my so I I understudied the role of Eva Peron in Evita uh, a couple of years ago. Ooh. And I did not model. A lot of people I know were like, "You should model your Eva after." Patty because she was the OG. I was like, that's exactly why I don't want to model my Ava off of her because she was the OG. Um, I also don't like the the tech the vocal technique that she uses. It's a little too uh -huh. for me. Yeah, yes, that. Um it's a little too Ethel Merman for me, which okay. Um but I wanted I wanted her to have my own spin, but I wanted her to have more of a modern take as well. So anyway, that's just a side story. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really getting tired of theater companies and film and, and TV shows are guilty of this too. Just gender bending things that don't need to be gender bent for the sake of for, for the sake of being progressive and inclusive and trying to, you know, be different and out of the box. And if you're using that as, as the only, if that, if that's your way of being inclusive, it's not super effective. Like do it with a purpose. Do it with a purpose because it, and not a purpose that is set out to shock and offend. Exactly. Because, like, when you think of the witch, like, because just last, the one we were talking about, like, that's a big case of paternal love. Not the best type of paternal love, but right. it's not typically something we see in the toxic masculinity world happening, especially written in those days. Right. That's a switch with a purpose. Yeah, that is a big switch with a big purpose. And I feel that there's a lot of character development there that could be that there's a lot there to work with that would really transform the narrative of the witch. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot there and I, I kind of want to see what that would look like. I do too, but it definitely was not filmed in a pro shot. Like, ugh. right. Still. Yeah. In the end, unless it's narratively required, 
every show could be a diverse show. Lexi exactly. said it the best. It, yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. Um, just stop casting all white people. Also, at the same time, don't cast the color purple or dream girls with people that aren't black. Is that a thing? Yes. Ugh. Like, if here's the thing. Or once on this island. Or, like hairspray or like if there are roles that are specifically meant for certain races you need to adhere to those races because they are there for a reason it is telling a very particular culture story you need to respect that especially with cases like dream girls and the color purple which are literally about black culture and they are iconic pieces of um of so I have a question for you based on that yes. subject. Japan did its first production of Hairspray. I did not hear about this. Oh, yes. They had a commercial and everything. There's a YouTube video about it, like a trailer for it. But it, we were all like, how? Because it was definitely an all Japanese cast. But okay. no one black-faced. That was exciting to see. Okay, that's that's good. That's a start. We are, if there is anybody black-facing in 2021, I I can't. Like we need we no. They, all they We're had was that. the uh motormouth Maybell just had a spray tan that made her look honestly like me because <laughs> we all know the standard of beauty in Asia is super pale too. Like right. like bird poop geisha makeup, like people like yeah. Right. It's not just a American thing. It's been a no, worldwide life thing. It really is. Um but so, yeah. But so I was just saying, like, so what if the audience, because they kept the story the same. So the audience in Japan is kind of learning about, like, segregation and, like, all the stuff that was happening in 1962 in Baltimore, Maryland. How do you feel about that? Because I'm like, well, it's like a teaching tool, and it seemed like they did it respectfully, but... It's a teaching tool, and it seems like they did it respectfully. I still don't agree with it. Okay. I, I don't, I need to look into that more to, um, have a full response to that. But like, I don't think that Motormouth Mabel and Seaweed and all of those characters should be played by, I think you need to be black to be to be cast in one of those roles. All right. Because that is that is what that particular show is about. Yes. That, and, that, and that's a very specific case. Now, I'm all about, a show like In the Heights, for example, um, there was a, a, um, a company that did In the Heights a couple years ago uh, near me. And they had an extremely diverse cast, uh, people of all races. And that makes sense because when you look at Washington Heights, like we said earlier, everybody, there's a whole slew of, there's, like, there's a whole variety of people that live there. And while New York is one of the most segregated places on earth, like anyone could live anywhere though. Anyone can live anywhere. Yeah, basically. So that made sense to me. Um, having, you know, if, if we're going to go back, having a show like West Side Story, um, that, 
you know, there, there can be a lot of diversity there as long as you don't have a white Tony, um, which keeps happening. And I'm just like, why, why, why are you doing this? Doesn't Tony have to be white? Cause isn't he supposed to be like pinnacle Italian Irish? Maybe I'm getting this confused with something else. We're going to cut this part. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Show your humanity. Um, and if, for those of you out there who have opinions about these things, please reach out at the shape of a star podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. There should be a Facebook page. Eventually it would probably be made by the time this comes out and the shape of a star podcast on t- Instagram. We would love to hear your thoughts. And if we get enough talking about it, I'll bring Lexi back on to defend thy opinions from the masses. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> I, I, like the, um, Here's the thing. I, I think that people are so afraid to change opinions based on information that they learn. And that is the beauty of life is that we are constantly learning. And with that, we should be adapting our opinions and our views based on the information that we learn every day. And, you know, my opinions about things can change based on the information that I learn. And, um, you know, next time I'm here, something may have changed. I may have learned something completely different about something that I've already discussed and I might have a completely different outlook on it. So I would love to hear your opinion on that new opinion because showing growth is just as important as being able to do with people. We love to see growth. We love to see it. In all forms. Yes, exactly. And growth stories sell. And they win Academy Award prizes, which is its own story and mess in its own. Exactly. But we are an hour into this and we're only in question two. So let's (laughs) let's unpack that a different day. But not at all, because apparently next question is, when, so we all know you're in a social justice because we've been talking about it forever and it's been a great combo. But how do you think social justice has changed within like the past few years? Like if you just take from when we graduated from Mason to now, how do you think it's changed? I think it's become a, a big topic of conversation because people are becoming more aware of it. Marginalized groups are tired of being silenced and oppressed. Um, but I think it really came through in the Trump era um, when Mingo Mussolini was, um, yeah, I call him Mingo Mussolini. Oh, okay. Um, I was like, wait, is there a new Mussolini? Like, I was so literal with it. Mingo Mussolini. Um, when Hot, when hot Cheeto, um, <laughs> when he, um, I mean, all the things that he was spouting about migrants and women and people of color and indigenous people and black people and basically every marginalized community and, and, and queer people. And it just, all of these things that he was spewing all the time. I mean, it, you woke up every day and you were like, well, I wonder what's going to be in the headlines today. Cause I mean, the things that were coming out of his mouth, which is literally up. how it was, which is, which is how it was. It, it, that's just how it was. Um, so which sidebar, it's really nice that, I, and I'm not saying that Biden is perfect by any means. We have a long way to go and he is not who I would have chosen, but better than the alternative. Um, I love that the most in his like first couple of weeks, uh, in, in the white house, the, 
the most problematic headline was um, that he was trying to bring his Peloton into the White House and that they didn't want him bringing his Peloton bike in the White House. It was like, this is this is the problematic thing that we're going to see from this president. Cool, cool, cool. I can I can handle this. This is fine. This is Doesn't refreshing. it feel like Donald was in office forever ago already? Yes, because it, it's, it, we're living in like this different world. It's, it's weird. Um, okay, sorry, going back. It is a much bigger topic of conversation now because people are being made aware of it because people are, aren't afraid to talk about it because marginalized communities are not going to be silenced anymore. We are coming forward with our stories. We are tired of being silenced. We are tired of being um, discriminated against. And there is a lot. There's a lot that needs to be discussed. That is my short answer of that. Um, I think in addition to that, we also have a new generation of people that are you know, younger than you and I that are being ushered into this future mm-hmm. where they don't see, they don't, I'm not saying this to, in a colorblind sense, but they don't see race necessarily. They see, they see humans that deserve rights, that deserve freedom, that deserve equality, no matter who they are, what their culture is, what kind of background they have, that's where their beliefs are, is that everybody everybody should have the same rights. They just grew up in a very inclusive culture, which is right. surprisingly, because it's almost the same culture we grew up in. And-, right. and yet you and I know that there are still a lot of people within our age bracket that are still living in the sixties. Um, th- even older than that. I mean, there are people that are, that just have these, at this point, ancient beliefs. <laughs> and That's a good way to say it. Ancient. They're, they're ancient at this point. Yes. Um, like it is 2021 get it together. Um, and, um, I, I think that that is why, social justice has found this huge place in our world now. It's because, and and also we live in the age of social media where we live in the age of memes and gifts and entertainment where, where what we live and what we experience is reflected back in TV and meet and movies and magazines. And so it's this conversation that keeps perpetuating itself, which is great. Because it's always going to be in the in public eye. It's always it's also like with memes and gifts and stuff. It's political cartoons are not written by the elite anymore. Anyone can make crack a joke. <laughs> anyone can crack a joke. Um, and so anyone can become a um, idea spreader. Yeah, anyone can spread ideas. Anyone can be a uh, a a messenger, if you will. Um, any, anyone can, at this point in time, anyone can say anything, um, which is not great, but you know, so, so yeah. Um, don't worry world. We're going to get into like less serious topics now because <laughs> that was, that was a heavy hour, but, or not even hour. Cause we talked about that for 20 minutes. So that was a heavy 40 minutes. <laughs> so actually now is a good time for a quick little for a quick little transition, people. 
So, because my transitions, we all know they're not that great, but I don't mind. But do you know who can help with that? Birds of a Feather Communications, which is a content and copying business dedicated to mark making your ideas stand out through catchy and creative writing. They specialize in all sorts of written product, written product products. No, I was right. Okay, all sorts of written products, including sales copies, website content, social media captions, speeches, and more. If you have anything else to say, Birds can help you say it. To place an order or learn more, check them out at contentbybirds.com or look them up on Facebook under Birds of a Feather Communications, comma, capital L, capital L, capital C. And there's going to be some promo code. Uh, promo code is STAR, you know, the shape of a star, haha, in your order. And you will get, like, cool stuff. And things will be cool and dandy. So... If you want to sound better than I do on the fly, check them out and they'll be able to help. They also helped write the stuff for the website. So there we go. So now onto the casualer side. Or, never mind, we were talking about ancient stuff in the beginning. We're going to go back to ancient life. You are one of the most involved people I know in Renfair. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Going <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. I was like, do you want to care to describe the joys of Ren Fair that it brings you? So I got into Ren Fair when I was like 15 or 16. Yeah, 15. 15 was the first time I went. I fell in love with it immediately. Um, they are super I, fun people. Rennies are great. Rennies are nuts, but Rennies are great. Um, and I, I love the music. I love the dancing. I love the outfits. Like I love getting to wear all my garb. Um, it's just, it's, it's where I feel at home. It's where I feel most like me. Um, you know, if you like fairies and lore and Celtic stuff and pirates and, you know, all and, that street, food. and street food, <laughs> like a whole, <laughs> a whole mishmash of like weird history and kind of, you know, Viking culture and you know there's there's people automatically assume that it's going to be historically accurate to the Renaissance time period. <laughs> no, it's not, but there is a there are so many interesting sub cultures within fair. Um and different you know, I even go and I have different kind of subcultures in my garb collection. You know, I have kind of more Vikings things. I have more um, Celtic things. I have more pirate stuff. I have, you know, there's, a, a, you know, more like maiden wench kind of things. Um, it's just, it's so fun. It's what led me to cosplay actually. And um, it's just so fun for me. It's a great escape, but at the same time, it's where I've made some of my closest, dearest friends. And I'm very much looking forward to returning this year. It was hard not having one last year. I mean, understandably so. We were, you know, and we still are in a pandemic. Um, but but we're doing better. We're doing significantly better. Whew. Oh, buddy. So I want to ask you this. Mm. Did you ever watch American Princess? American Princess? I don't think so. Oh, you would love it. So the whole show, it was a 2019 TV show put on by Lifetime. 
Oh, cool. So let me redo the premise on Wikipedia, people. American Princess follows Amanda, an Upper East Side socialite who runs off to join a Renaissance fair after her wedding wedding goes awry. Oh, I heard about this. I heard about this. It was the funniest show. I should watch this because I feel like it, I would get a good laugh out of it. You would love it because it really does show like Ren, Renny life. And yeah, and people, I'm not joking. Like when you go to a Ren fair, I'm the, like the least likely person you'd expect to have fun there because it's outdoors, there's bugs, it's in the forest, it's in the middle of nowhere. But like, I don't know, it's fun. And there's excellent shopping at many of them. It's it's so fun. And just being there with the music and the dancing, it's just, and the the cider. And I, they still have real bathrooms. At some of them. So, yeah, I will not say that. Maryland. No, they have porta-potties. Those are not real bathrooms. Okay, well, it's better than digging a hole in the ground and burying it. Fair. Like. <laughs> totally legit like a real renaissance era time so people if you could go check out your fair life or ren fairs please come or like please go do it and then let us know what you did and tag us yes because we would love to see it yes i i love reading about other people's fair adventures because like, yeah they're fair so the lives <laughs> so I'm since glad. you already talked about you like dressing up what's it like working as a prince party princess character actor Oh, so yeah, that's something I didn't mention in my intro because I completely forgot to mention that. Oh, okay. Um, I also uh, work as a character actor for a character company. Um, so I play Snow White for our company. Mm -hmm. um, I also do Maleficent and um, and um, let me see. Do you I'm, offer Regina? We don't. But we should. But I don't think she would get a lot of bookings because she's a very like specific character. Regina from Once Upon a Time for, for folks at home. The evil uh, queen. The evil queen from Once Upon a Time. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and I have, sorry. I have one additional character that is the original character from the, uh, an original character that I created for the company. Her name is Fairy Opal. And she, the way that, she kind of came about was um, when someone else was doing Maleficent in the company, um, she needed a fairy assistant for an event. And so we kind of came up with this character. Her name was Opal and she lives in the moors. She's one of Maleficent's kind of creatures. Yes. Fairy, but, but Opal has kind of evolved into one of the three original characters that our company created. Um, and so we actually came up with a coloring book for kids and it's kind of narrated by opal cherry blossom who's the unicorn in our trio and then miss bb who's the third part of our original character trio um so yeah um i love doing what i do i love um telling stories to kids and singing for them and um basically just creating memories and creating magic especially during pandemic it was really hard because we were so used to doing you know very hands-on you know birthday parties and things with kids where we would do makeovers and you know always hugged and and danced with them and and so going virtual was really hard we did we did a lot of virtual story times on our facebook live 
um, we did like a party we did a like a princess camp um, online. It was being a, a character actress or actor in the, the age of COVID was interesting. Um, yes. It's still interesting because, you know, even now we are just starting, or at least our company is just starting to go back to regular like indoor party visits. And we are still wearing masks and we are requiring that the kids wear masks. Like if you're in the room with the princesses, you are wearing a mask. That is our requirement in our, um, in our contract. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, we've all been vaccinated, but, um, you can never be too safe. You know, myself and one of our other cast members are immunocompromised. So we're just trying to do our part to make sure that we're keeping everybody safe. Um, but it's, you know, we didn't realize how much we'd missed it until we did our first party back and it was just, it was absolutely magical. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting experience. Um, it's a really, especially for someone who for the longest time didn't think that they liked working with kids. I love working with kids. I just realized it's not in a capacity of, um, it's, it's in the capacity of, I like making magic with them. And I like them to be able to express their artistic side, you know, their creative side. And we do a lot, a lot of coloring activities and a lot of craft work with them so that they get that creativity going. But yeah. That's super that's cool. That's Quick cool. question, because I just thought of this. Would you guys only, and by guys, I mean all the people in your company, mm-hmm. do you only do kid events? Oh no, we do lots of events. We do corporate events. We've done, um, we've literally done corporate events. Someone hired us for, um, for someone, people have hired us for like adult birthday parties too. See, I was wondering that. I was like, how fun and random would that be if I was just like, I'm having a princess birthday this year. We do it. We do it all. Like that's so good to know. Yeah, we do it all. Um, we also do, uh, we did a Nutcracker special this past holiday season where it was, you know, socially distanced and we performed in like, people would hire us if they had like big backyard spaces and we would come do like an abridged version of the Nutcracker. I was the sugar plum fairy. I was going to ask who were you, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, we did a little mini ballet and we did a story time. It was really special. Um, so we do all kinds of different performances and story times and play dates and things like that. Cause um, I also was wondering, I was like, you know, what would be fun and probably like a crazy process to prepare for on your end. Hmm. I was like, what if instead of strippers, I hired princesses for a bachelorette party? Yes. Do that. Because how much fun would that be for you? Yes. Like you get these like wholesome princesses or opal. Opal probably might be safer, but well, opal would be fun to to do because um, opal is doesn't have to have as much of a fairy as much of a princess presence as she does a kind of whimsical presence. Mm-hmm. So she still has she still has a little bit of princess to her, but she's more otherworldly than princessy. Although I will say it might be hard for people to stay in character. You'd be surprised. We've stayed in character through some interesting things. And I will not make you say those because I want you to be able to work. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. So your costumes, wow, this is all actually in the flow. Your costumes have always looked amazing. Like I've seen you cosplay, I've seen you at fair. 
Like it's all yeah. been super cool. Where did you learn to craft and create all these things? So I think it is very important to note that I do not sew at all. I do not sew. I do not craft my own. I do not create my own costumes based out of fabric. I very meticulously pick and choose pieces by different makers. I thrift for things. I look at things secondhand in like garb groups and cosplay groups. I very specifically um, look, you know, I look for things that I need in very specific colors, very specific textures. Um, and it does take a while, but when I have the vision for the character, um, I tend to not veer too far from it. Um, mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is that sometimes an entire cosplay will be inspired by one piece that I found. And that's actually what happened with my um, Victorian Slytherin. Yeah. Which was, um, I found a hat that was all, this beautiful Victorian hat that's all black and it has, you know, green detail. And the buckle was bronze. But I said, you know, this would be really cool for a Victorian outfit. Well, I like you know, I like green. And then I realized, no, this is going in a Slytherin route. So I, I painted the, the metal on the hat in a silver color, made it super metallic. And then the rest of the, the cosplay came together around that hat. And that ha has happened multiple times where I will get a, a, an idea for a cosplay or a new outfit for fair based on one thing on one thing that I found or one thing that I already own. So that is, that is the, a, a little bit of an insight into my madness. Eh, no, that's super cool. I'm still stuck on bachelorette party. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, that's so fun. I will <laughs> like, say, I will say my Opal character just got major, major upgrades. Like she has an entirely new outfit. She has huge wings. Like, huge wings that I'm very excited about. Um, oh, you showed me the wings, right? Yes. Those they're are the wings. That I yeah. They're, they're going to be amazing when they're, when they're pinned on and everything. I'm very excited. Um, and uh, I'm sure you will sh share my social media links at some point. Um, but yeah, for, for more information, like, and if you want to see the wings, um, pictures will be coming in a couple weeks. So you'll be able to find my Instagram and, Look It'll be out that. way before this podcast goes there. Oh, well, yep, yep, yep. They'll be up significantly before then. I will say, though, I thought Opal was one of the Disney fairies fairies. Oh, my gosh. Really? I did, because I was like, I don't know all their names. Although I watched all those movies religiously. But I totally thought, because it was like the theme of what you your company does. And I was like, oh, it's right. probably just a Disney fairy. <laughs> no, not a Disney fairy, just an original character that we kind of tried to morph in the vibe of a Disney fairy, but otherworldly enough to where she can kind of go into multiple kingdoms. Nice. Kind of how, how we do it. All right. So there are many possibilities of where your career can take you because you do makeup, you do acting, you do everything on earth. Um, <laughs> what would your dream career path be? So I've, I've thought about this a lot. And I think for me, the most exciting opportunity that I've come up with would be um, 
being the diversity and inclusion lead for a cosmetic company. Oh. Um, so this would entail product development, making sure that it's spanning enough skin tones and skin textures and making sure that the colors are flattering for a variety of skin tones, making sure that foundations match a bunch of skin tones, you know, and that it's not just 50 shades of beige, um, as is so prevalent in a lot of um, cosmetic companies. And um, it's gotten better over the past couple of years, but um, it, it has a long way to go. Um, but also making sure that, you know, in the campaigns for the, for the brand, that there are people of all colors, shapes, sizes, ages, um, genders, you know, all different people, all different bodies are seen. Um, and then making it that accessible to people, um, making the packaging so that it isn't hard for someone who has disabilities to open. Um, you know, some, you know, it's, it's, it, it would basically be this marriage of all of my academic work and all of my academic, you know, research, but also a lot of my background with cosmetics and um, makeup artistry and putting those two together in a way that would be profitable, but also be very, um, very helpful in helping a, a brand really stand out from the crowd because um, there are so many beauty brands right now makeup and, and makeup is just booming right now it um, really is it's booming the beauty industry is absolutely nuts right now but um i think there is room for a really inclusive brand that focuses on equity and inclusivity for, for all humans, for everyone. Yes. So that's, that's the kind of work that I'd like to do that. And then, you know, there's the whole, with that, there's, you know, making sure that everybody in the company is, is, um, you know, making sure that people of color are employed at the company, making sure that um, benefits are, you know, are inclusive of people with disabilities and, you know, all, all of that kind of like HR background stuff as well. Um, that's, that's kind of the dream. I don't know when that will happen. If that will happen, it might require me coming up with my own brand. It might. Which wow that would be that would be wow that would that would be incredible um not something that i've really considered but yeah so that's that's kind of the the dream job if you will and that goes along the line with the final question so you were one of the most driven people i've ever met because you're always up to something uh <laughs> <laughs> what do you not want to conquer on this earth what do i not want to conquer like, what's a cause or something that you don't want to tackle? Like, do you have anything that you could think of? Anything involving snakes. <laughs> snakes as a Slytherin? As a Slytherin. There's the irony, right? <laughs> as a Slytherin, my biggest fear on Earth is snakes. So, yeah. Do with that what you will. Um, I here's Here's what I'm going to say about that. I think 
I think I'm always going to want to change something about something because that is just the way that I am. That's the way that I'm wired. I'm always going to want to take something that I see that is amazing and make it even better. I know that I can't do that and still live a human life, you know, and actually have a life that is outside of my work um, because that would just take up all of my time. But I will always be searching for things that are enriching to not only me, but the people around me. Um, things that are going to help marginalize communities and things that are overall going to make the world a better place because our world is a little fractured and broken right now and we need to rebuild from the ground up. And so that's how I plan on proceeding with things. And what a good planned it is, a plan it, not planned, plan it is indeed. There, I said it, world. <laughs> I was did not go to school for elocution. 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 All right, so are you ready for the rapid fire questions portion? Oh, Jesus. Yes, I have I not been rapid because of me, because we always go off in tangents, so. Okay, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay focused. All right. All right, here we go. All right. What are your chosen coping skills? Oh God. Um, <laughs> my chosen coping skills are um, reaching out to close friends when I need, you know, when I need someone to listen to me. Um, sushi. That's a coping skill. Just sushi. I want sushi. Right. Um, and snuggling with my dogs. Those are usually my coping skills. And also um, some type of uh, physical activity. Usually it's yoga or kickboxing. Not Kazashi anymore? No, I don't do Kazashi anymore. Oh. There's some tea there. I assumed. <laughs> you can't see Lexi's face, everyone, but <laughs> there are expressions. Okay. So, <laughs> next one. Pick a side. Lancaster or York? What? Pick a side. Lancaster or York? York, because pe peppermint patties. Perfect. Where do you stand on the Oxford comma? Oxford comma is fantastic. If I told you to bring a pie to pie day, what kind of pie would you bring? Blueberry lemon ricotta, because it's one of the ones that I've wanted to learn how to bake. Oh my God, that's a feat to bake. <laughs> like, that's a lot. <laughs> Blueberry lemon ricotta. Okay. Um, what's an innocent phrase that you have mistakenly or subconsciously weaponized? That's a choice. Oh my God, I heard you say that. <laughs> it was in fairies. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying that for years. And originally it was like, that's that's a choice. And now it's, that's a choice. Yeah. What's a trend that went too far? Oh God. Uh, all of the eyebrow trends that were just like feathered eyebrows, like people braiding their eyebrows. It, all of the TikTok and Instagram brow trends need to freaking go. <laughs> okay. If you could rule an established country or territory in this world, where and why? Dang it. Okay. Feel like, <laughs> oh, another world. Sure. In this world, um, uh, oh God. I, 
I wouldn't because I would be, I, I, I'm not cut out to, I don't think I'm cut out to be a ruler. I'm cut out to be an advisor. <laughs> what a cough out. Uh. <laughs> if I had to pick, uh, probably, um, uh, a something in Ireland. Okay. If you were the pageant contestant or large platform holder, what would your philanthropy or cause be? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, pick one. Good luck. Oh, God. Um, well, I'm writing my thesis on queer Arab women who migrate from the United from from the Middle East to the United States. Um, so I would probably focus on queer people of color um, and their protection. Their their protection. Hey, that's me. Uh, yep. <laughs> I count people. Yes. I matter now. <laughs> I matter to someone. Okay. Um, <laughs> what avatar nation would you come from? What are my options? Fire nation, the earth kingdom, the air nomads, or the water tribe? Water. Who would play you in a documentary or movie about your life? Oh, dear God. Who knows? Who the fuck knows? Because I think there would, I don't know. I would like to see something interesting done where it's like multiple people playing me. I think that would be really cool. Um, Share show. <laughs> um, I don't really, I don't know. Um, I don't know. That That's truly an, I don't, I, I'm going to have to think about that because I, I can't, imagine like who would possibly play me i asked that question because i don't know who would play me either right it's hard to think about <laughs> we are people of color there aren't that many eligible people that we know right. of. it's yeah it's that's that's a tough one plus i'm five five try to find I'm, I'm i am a tall girl i am a tall pale arab yes it, you are it's a it's a lifestyle that i did not choose it chose me <laughs> that you embraced Yes. That you chose to embrace through life and all those other fun things that you've experienced, which I'm very happy you did. So <laughs> what's an, oh, what's your ideal five minutes of fame? Um, creating a new, um, well, my ideal five minutes of fame. Um, uh, I, 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 I think I would like to be known for in that regard for coming up with some cool new cosmetic item. That would be really cool. Cool. So like ear hair curler. <laughs> Something like that. I'm thinking more along the lines of like a, like a color changing eyeliner or um, I don't know, something. Something or like, or nail polish that's actually like mood nail polish, but like real, real mood nail polish, like some witchcraft shit in there. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So Lexi, do you have anything you want to say to the world? Um, I'm going to go with a Dr. Seuss quote here, even though he's been under some fire lately. Mm -hmm. uh, and I might butcher this. <laughs> Be who you are because those who mind don't matter. And those who don't mind or those who matter don't mind. Yeah. There we go. Always be true to who you are. And if you are in an environment where you can't 
be who you are, try to change that. I know it's easier said than done. And I say that speaking from a place of privilege because I'm in a comfortable living situation, but live your most authentic life and don't let anyone stop you. And those are the wise, wor wise, wise words <laughs> of Lexi Haddad, everyone. So Lexi, if people want to like chat with you or see what's up in your life, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at that lexicon, T-H-A-T-L-E-X-I-C-O-N. Um, I will also uh, have a Facebook page at some point for my makeup artistry business, but you can find my makeup artistry business through my uh, personal Instagram. Um, my my uh, business Instagram is faces underscore by underscore Lexi. Um, so th those will probably be included somewhere. There, the, the link in the bio, not bio, whatever it is. The notes, the show notes is what they're calling them these days. I don't know. And by the time this episode comes out, who knows what everyone's calling everything. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, when in doubt, uh, that lexicon on Instagram. That's where you can find me. <laughs> we'll be following her too. You can always just creep uh, the shape the shape of a star podcast on Instagram and you'll find, also, you'll be tagged in stuff. So whatever. Yeah, it won't be hard to find me. Yeah. Just look for the one with purple hair. Because I do have very curly purple hair. Mm-hmm. Who's very yeah. pale. Who's very pale. Yeah. All right. So thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I really loved this. Uh, no problem. And yeah, maybe people will respond and maybe we'll do part two. So. Sounds good. Hello, satellites. Have a good day, night, whatever time. you Have a good life. How about that? But come back next orbit. See ya. Thank <music> you.